Well, it's certainly my joy to be with you here this morning. I'm Daryl. I'm the assistant pastor here at uh, Midtown 12 South, if we haven't met, which is pretty likely that we haven't met, because you know why. I don't have to tell you why. Um, but with that said, I would love to meet you at any point. Uh, I have a pretty open schedule. So uh, I have an open schedule and a budget. So I'll buy you coffee. I'll buy you lunch. I'll buy you tickets to Cabo. Whatever you want, guys. No rules. No rule summer. Uh, so glad uh, to be here. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Philippians. Uh, the book uh, is, is often called Paul's Epistle of Joy, uh, that he loved uh, his Philippian church uh, so much. Uh, as he's writing to them uh, from prison, he's reminding them of the joy that's theirs in Jesus. And this morning we come really to uh, almost the summit of this letter um, and it's such a rich and good passage that it almost feels weird that I have to, I have to get to uh, get to preach it because it's hard to do it justice. Uh, Ellie and I fought over who got to do it uh, because it's such a great passage, and he has a wedding tonight like a sucker, and so I got to do it. Um, and so don't schedule your weddings on Sundays and keep Elliot happy. Uh, but so thankful uh, that we get to dive into this passage this morning. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, we'll be in Philippians 3. Uh, the first 11 verses of this chapter, the, the scripture will also be on the screens um, if, you, you know, if you need Jesus and forgot to bring your Bible this morning. Uh, so let's read together Philippians 3, 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." But whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain, or rather attain, the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, it's, uh, it is only by your mercy that we can uh, read such words. Uh, it's only by your mercy uh, that you send the Holy Spirit to regenerate our hearts uh, to receive such words. Uh, to receive uh, the good news uh, that everything we try to do pales uh, in comparison uh, to the righteousness that is found and offered to us uh, by your son Jesus. Uh, so this, is, as this morning as we search our hearts, as we search our scriptures, as we search our own souls uh, for those things uh, that we turn to, those lesser loves uh, that have grabbed our attention, uh, move us, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, Move us to uh, see Jesus as beautiful. Uh, move us to see Jesus as more believable. Move us to see Jesus as the one who loves us more uh, than those other things. Uh, and we will leave here rejoicing, knowing that you have done 
uh, such kind work uh, to us. And it's in your son's name we do pray. Amen. Uh, in, a, in a former life, I was a youth pastor uh, for uh, way too many years. A little, I outstayed my welcome a, l- a little longer than I should have been. Um, and one of my favorite things to do was to take a group of uh, high schoolers out to Estes Park, Colorado. Uh, we would go out to this uh, conference called RYM, and uh, we liked that better than the beach. When I say we, I mean me. Uh, I like that better than the beach because sand is gross and it's hot, and I don't like getting sunburned. And so I was like, we're going to go to the mountains. And uh, a lot of our kids had never been out west. Like, you know, they were, they were like these rich kids down in Nolensville, and so they got to go to 38 all the time. And so I was like, well, we're gonna, I'm going to take you to Colorado because it's going to be a lot better. And uh, we went, uh, the last year that we went, which was uh, a couple years back, uh, we, every year had like a mission. Um, and we are like, this year is going to be a moose hunt. Not an actual, not with guns, but like with, just with our eyes. And so uh, we decided, hey, we're going to go try to find where these moose are. And we stopped at every ranger station possible, and we're asking them, and like, hey, what time do the moose show up? And uh, they were giving us hints on where to go. And, uh, and so they were told us, like, on the western side of uh, Rocky Mountain National Park is where you're going to find, uh, that's your best chance to see some. And so there's this road that sort of cuts across from Estes Park to this town called Grand Junction. It's called Trail Ridge Road. It's like super famous. Uh, you can just Google it later. Um, but it's just beautiful drive. It takes like an hour to kind of get across the whole thing. You go up to like 12,000 feet or whatever. Um, and I was like, we're doing it. We're going to go. Um, super prepared. Didn't check the weather report. Uh, and so we hopped in this <laughs> 12-passenger death trap and uh, started driving over uh, Trail Ridge Road. And it starts to snow. And I was like, oh, this could be fun or could be troubling. Uh, but we were fine, and a lot of our folks had never really been in that, that amount of snowfall, and so we pulled over to the side and like, made snow angels. We got chased off by some rangers, because apparently it's tundra, and you're not supposed to do that. Uh, it's fine. It'll grow back. Uh, <laughs> God's making all things new. Calm down, ranger. And, uh, and so we drove to the other side and got to the bottom, and there were these moose, and I was tripping. And so we pulled over, and we, like, started walking through the woods. We got way too close, um, but all of us were just sort of enthralled by what we saw. Like, I'd never seen anything that big. I, it takes a lot to make me feel small, and I was like, man, this, this thing is huge. And so uh, we saw the moose, and then we're like, hey, let's go get some food. Uh, so we go to this little town. We got some lunch, and then we're like, hey, we need to head back because we have, you know, we have stuff we have to do. We have to go to meetings, et cetera. And so uh, we get to the park entrance. And a park ranger stops us, and she's like, hey, we had to close this road. Um, a huge snow just came in, and, like, it's too dangerous for you to drive over it. And I'm not a local, <laughs> so I was like, okay, what does this mean for me? Uh, and she said, you're going to have to take a four-hour detour. Uh, you're going to have to turn around, and you have to, like, drive back to Denver and then, like, go the long way around. And... Uh, if you've ever been a teenager or had teenagers or worked with teenagers, you know how understanding they are, uh, how generous and, and thoughtful they can be when told that you have to take a four-hour detour and we don't have any snacks. And um, I was like, we just have to do it. Uh, there's no way to short-circuit this process. There's no way to shortcut this. And uh, it, it was sort of a teaching moment, which is another thing teenagers love, unsolicited advice. Um, and I was like, hey, we, this isn't what we wanted, um, but it's what God has for us. It's what God has for us. We have to do this. Um, and 
just telling them, like, isn't this the Christian life? Isn't this what is so counterintuitive to our human nature? Uh, that God, like, sets the route and we go on it. Uh, and when we veer from it, uh, we get in trouble. And when we look at this passage, the things that Paul said here, how much confidence he has in the Lord Jesus and how he has turned away uh, from all, all the righteousness that he had earned on his own, um, showing us that winning only comes through losing, uh, that, the Christian, that in the Christian life that gain only comes through loss, uh, and that freedom that we hold on to so tightly is, is really a rebellion, and, that though, and, and only through abandoning our lesser loves, uh, only through turning away uh, from those things that we thought loved us and thought would give us uh, a life, they thought would give us a future, and losing ourselves in the righteousness that is given to us by Jesus, do we find the freedom that our hearts have longed for the whole time? Uh, because Paul shows us in this passage that righteousness only comes through Christ Jesus. And because righteousness only comes through Christ Jesus, believers are freed to flee those lesser loves. Uh, we're allowed to run out and lose ourselves in the righteousness given to us by Jesus. Uh, so three things we're going to take a look at that Paul's showing us here uh, in ways that we try to obtain righteousness. First, it's righteousness through uh, rancid relationships. Second, righteousness uh, through our resumes. And lastly, righteousness through the resurrection of Christ. So let's jump in and see what God has for us uh, this morning. If we look at verses 1 through 3, if you could put those up there, that'd be awesome. Uh, remember that Paul is writing from his jail cell here. Uh, the end is nigh for Paul, uh, the great apostle, as he faces his imminent death at the hands of the Romans. Uh, and he's telling his brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, he says in verse 1. In verse 2, he says, I'll, I'll keep writing this. It's like the announcements about Kidtown. I'm going to keep saying this, for it's no trouble for us, and it is safe for you. Uh, to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Paul is telling him again and again, remember the joy. Remember your joy again. Rejoice in the Lord. And as he's writing from this jail cell with his imminent death on the way, he's here uh, to writing to what many believe to be his favorite congregation. Um, every pastor has their favorite church people. If you're not one of them, just tr you try a little harder. Guys, you might, you might get there. Um, but Paul has a message for his people in typical Pauline fashion. He introduces this letter to tell them what's true of them. He did that in the first two chapters. And of who God is and of who they are in Christ. And how for Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said that in the second chapter, which is a very... Uh, famous verse, uh, a very huge statement to make. Uh, and he's telling these people how they shine like lights to an unbelieving world around them. And then last week, Elliot spoke to us of uh, how Epaphroditus walked 500 miles, and he walked 500 more uh, just to be the man who walked 1,000 miles, fall down at your door. Got that, guys? Proclaimers. Um, how Epaphroditus loved uh, these people so much that he uh, went on this long journey to comfort them and to comfort Paul and, uh, and now Paul gets a little practical in his theology in this second half of this letter. He moves to an imperative tone, and, uh, and he tells us how we're to live in light of the good news that he gave us in the first couple chapters. And he begins by telling us, rejoice in the Lord. And then he wants to tell us how we're made right, but he first gives us a warning. 
Uh, he says, uh, beware of the dogs. Beware of the dogs. And look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What's Paul talking about here? Uh, Paul is talking about a group who have infiltrated the church. He talks about this a lot in Galatians. Uh, and he's referencing it here in Philippians that as he's in prison, we talked about this really in the first chapter as well, uh, there are other visiting preachers who are going to come in and they're going to tell the, the, the newly converted Christians in Philippi um, of a different way to obtain favor with the Lord. Uh, because they're coming from the Jewish tradition, these, these group of men called Judaizers would come in and they would say, hey, you can believe in Jesus, like, that's great. Uh, we saw him, he's a great guy. Uh, but you also need to be circumcised. And we also need to follow the law. Uh, they had attempted to really wed what God never intended to be wed. Uh, so they had intended um, to tell these folks, sure, grace is wonderful. And it, it really is good news. You should, you should be okay with that. Uh, but you also need to be following the law. And Paul is coming in and he's saying, you got to be aware of those guys. Uh, because the Judaizers didn't, they weren't coming in uh, like smacking people in the head. They were building relationships uh, with the Philippian church. Uh, and through those relationships were then teaching this false gospel that didn't sound that bad. Right? Yeah, sure. Like, why wouldn't we want to be good citizens? Why wouldn't we want to keep the law? The law's fine. Um, but Paul is saying you have to beware of those guys. Um, that those ra rancid relationships are such a threat to the church. And when it comes to false, uh, false teachers and false preachers, uh, Paul never minces his words. Uh, he talks about the wickedness of these men and the wickedness of this false gospel. He calls them dogs and those who seek to mutilate the flesh, who are requiring this strict adherence to a Jewish law. Um, these visiting preachers coming in and really undermining Paul as he's in prison. And Paul says, watch out for these guys. Uh, in the book of Galatians, he says, let them be damned. Um, that, that you can't have Jesus plus anything to equal righteousness. And it raises the question for us, where do we find in our own lives uh, that we're trying to do that same thing? What do we seek to add to the gospel, really to make it more palatable, and to make it more attainable. Uh, that's what these Judaizers were doing. They were coming in. Hey, you can, you can listen to this message of grace, and it's wonderful, but how do you measure how well you're doing? Um, that's, the, like, that's the crux of Christianity, right? Is you can't. Um, you're, it's measured by fruit, but these guys are saying, hey, that's not enough. Like, that's not good enough. Um, do that, and let's talk about how well you keep the Sabbath. Keep, keep gospel and grace in one hand, and then let's talk about how well you're obeying your parents in the other hand. Um, that following the law is really what they were looking to to make them right. They were seeking their own brand of freedom, and it really did nothing but bring further imprisonment to these men. These Judaizers wanted them to cozy up uh, to this alternative gospel, and Paul says, watch out for that. Because our hearts are naturally bent toward that. Uh, because we were sinners, saved by grace, we're always trying to get back to where we were. Uh, that uh, there's something about us uh, that wants to get away uh, from this freedom that Christ offers. 
so we can follow the law, so we can prove uh, that we can do it ourselves, that we can uh, that we can attain what Jesus has for us on our own and essentially work him out of a job. And by having that seal over your heart, uh, you can avoid uh, placing your confidence in Jesus because you can look at how well you're doing uh, and you can look at the markers in your own life that say, hey, I did, like, I did okay today. Uh, but Paul is saying you have to watch out for these guys. Uh, false teachers seek to make Christianity easier because Christianity is really hard. Uh, and that is, like, think about the cultural narrative that Elliot was, uh, was speaking to us about last week, uh, that desiring our own autonomy, our own self-law, we can seek to really fabricate our own righteousness uh, by doing whatever we want and by allowing ourselves to be the measuring stick, uh, that we can, uh, we can set the parameters and we can go forward. And Paul is saying, only Jesus does that. And by setting your own parameters, by bringing in anything else to add to the gospel, you lose the gospel completely. Much like these false teachers, a new narrative is written. Uh, that narrative is, look at what I'm doing, and if you disagree with it, like, you're, you're wrong. Um, Jesus plus counseling. Uh, Jesus plus my own intellectual superiority. Jesus plus my own cultural sensitivity. Jesus plus my own deconstruction of my faith. Give me some tangible measure of how well I'm doing. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton rather said this, the Christian idea has not been found tried and left wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. People aren't walking away from Christianity because it's too easy. They're walking away from Christianity because it's too hard. It's been found too difficult and therefore left untried. Because what if the hardest thing about the Christian life for us, what if the hardest thing about the Christian life that Paul is referencing here? is not simply that, like, I'll be made fun of at my job like I thought was going to happen when I was in high school. Like, I'll be made fun of at school for being a Christian or that the liberals are trying to brainwash my kids. Um, what if the Christian life, like the Judaizers here, has been deemed far too difficult? Because what it means is that I'm not the captain of my own ship anymore. That when Jesus comes in, Jesus comes in. Uh, that... What if it's true, like C.S. Lewis said, that Jesus doesn't just trim uh, a tree limb here or a tree limb there, but that he comes in and takes down the whole tree? That there are those rancid relationships in our lives that seek to convince us that Jesus is great, but so's money. Or Jesus is great, but so's following your passion. Uh, that Jesus is great, but so's Joe Biden. Uh, that Jesus is great, but Trump did a pretty good job. That Jesus is great, but so is Percy Warner. So I'm just going to sleep in, uh, and I'll listen to the podcast later. That Jesus is great, and he's great right until he bumps up against something that I hold dear. And then he's not that great anymore. Yeah, the, the gospel of grace is, is wonderful, the Judaizers would say until it turns its back on what we have built our entire life on. 
uh, that when we come up, when God's grace comes up against something in our lives that we don't want to move, God's going to win. We can fight it, uh, but he's going to break through. And it's this toxicity that rots us from the inside. And Paul is saying, watch out for those folks in your life that seek to add something to that formula that Jesus has set forth. Because when they do, everything becomes out of balance. Never place ultimate hope in anything that is outside of Jesus. And Paul can say this because Paul did this. Uh, Paul lived it. Paul could call out those who seek righteousness by uh, a rancid relationship with the law because when it comes to being a law keeper, Paul was the best that there ever was. Uh, Which brings us to our second point, righteousness through our moral resume. If we look at uh, the middle portion of this passage in in, uh, chapter 3, Paul tells the Philippians, uh, here's why you shouldn't listen to these nerds who have come in and said, you have to do this plus believe in Jesus. Because Paul is saying, I was one. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews, he said. I was the Israelite of Israelites. You want to compare moral resumes. Paul tells us he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a true Israelite. He's in the tribe of Benjamin. His lineage goes all the way back. At Jewish school, he was a valedictorian. He loved the law so much that he was married to it. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And Paul didn't just store that knowledge up. He went around and just kicked the snot out of anyone who didn't agree with him. Uh, That he persecuted the church, that he stood there and held the coats uh, while the first Christian martyr that we see, uh, uh, this guy named Stephen in the book of Acts, uh, was being stoned to death. Paul was standing there watching. That when Stephen lifted up his head and claimed to hear the voice of Jesus, Paul would have sneered. And watched and laughed as the last hiss of oxygen left this guy's lungs. You want to meet a true Jew, then look no further than Paul. Paul's moral resume was outstanding. You would have wanted Paul as a neighbor. Paul would have gotten his trash can back from the curb on time. He would have made sure the tree limbs didn't fall on your fence. He would have been a great roommate. He wouldn't have woken you up early on a Sunday morning mowing his grass. He would have put the dishes in the dishwasher the right way, which is apparently a thing, according to my wife. Um, (laughs) Externally, if you looked at Paul, he had it all together. Life worked out the way he wanted it to. He didn't have kids, but if he did, you could bet they would have been well-behaved. And Paul takes all that and he says, look, none of that compares to what I found that day on the road to Damascus when Jesus showed up, knocked me off my donkey and blinded me with his grace literally and spiritually Paul who was dead was raised to life again in this wild crazy testimony where he is going to persecute the church further Jesus stops him and asks him why are you persecuting me and then Paul is undone and his life changes And the first words that Paul hears in Acts chapter 9, as he's in this house and he's blind, um, his whole life has been upended and turned upside down. Uh, God sends a man named Ananias to go and greet him. The first words that Paul hears are, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. He was welcomed into a family he had never been a part of. 
probably two of the sweetest words that could have been uttered to him in this lowest moment because Paul's moral resume was wonderful. As great as it was, it never could have gotten him a seat at God's table. He could have gotten a table at any restaurant in town. Could have gotten a table at any house in town. He was that good of a guy, but it wouldn't have gotten him what his heart truly desired, which was a welcome into a family where no one cared who he was before. They didn't care. Ananias cared a little bit. He was afraid Paul's going to kill him. That's, that's fine. Um, all they knew is that Paul is a different man now. Paul's moral resume would have been the envy of the Jewish people. And he said, I had it all, and it means nothing to me. It means nothing. He counts it rubbish. Doo-doo uh, is what the original language says. Literally, doo-doo. Check it out. Um, all that stuff I did, worthless. That when I look at what I gained by being accepted into Jesus, that moral resume gets crumpled up and thrown away. Which raises the question, have you looked at all you put your trust in outside of Christ? And have we, like Paul, found it to be lacking? Uh, we know the story. We, know, we all know the stories about folks who have uh, all this stuff and they're super unhappy. Like, I don't have to tell you that because you are that. Uh, we don't have to walk into those stories because we are those stories. But what we all have in common with Paul is that we have tried to work God out of a job every moment we've been alive. Whether that's by avoiding uh, cultural Samaritans like the Jew di Jews did, or whether we're trying to do whole 30, we're all seeking a righteousness that will be easier than what Jesus demands of us. To seek to shortcut only to be told that there's a storm that you don't want to go through over there. Too often we associate morality with the bad things that those people do, when more often in Scripture, uh, when, they, when they speak of morality, they're speaking about the good things that you think you're doing. And George Whitfield, an uh, evangelist in the 1700s, said uh, that to obtain the righteousness that Paul speaks of, we have to take our bad deeds and our good deeds, and we have to throw them in a pile and run to Jesus. That the Christian not only repents of those things that he's done wrong, uh, the Christian repents of all those things that he thinks he's done right. Uh, and for that we need Jesus. For that we need Jesus. And Jesus doesn't accept moral resumes. Jesus doesn't care. Um, they're actually an offense to the Godhead. Here's just a few verses about what God thinks about your moral resume as you sit here. From Isaiah 1. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in your solemn assemblies. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Jesus in Matthew 9 says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus isn't after your good works because Jesus has enough good works of his own. Uh, Jesus doesn't need the sacrifice of bulls. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. They mean nothing to him. But Paul is saying all these things fail, pale rather in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. 
that our righteousness is as filthy rags, as the Bible says. What Jesus is after is our hearts. He's after our hearts. Because he knew you couldn't keep the law. This is why the Judaizers were so scary for Paul, because they couldn't keep the law anyway. So what does he do is instead of making you measure up to the law's demands, it's Jesus who stoops down and says to a bunch of goofball sinners like us, I will do it for you. I'll do it for you. It's the best and the weirdest news that you'll ever hear. That by living a perfect life, by perfectly satisfying the law's demands and dying as the final sacrifice ever needed, and by rising in resurrection power three days later, we can lay our doing down at Jesus' feet and stand in front of him and say, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. This brings us to our last point, righteousness by the resurrection. Uh, Paul closes out this passage in verses 8 through 11 uh, by presenting to us how we are made righteous. He's presented two ways in which uh, righteousness failed uh, through the Judaizers and through moral resumes. Uh, And now he's showing us that righteousness is something that is done to us and never is something that is done by us. Uh, That that righteousness is a declaration from God the Father saying, you have been covered by the blood of Jesus, and therefore there's nothing between us. Uh, That there's nothing but grace that he has for us. That when our hearts are illuminated by the Holy Spirit, when the dead heart of stone is replaced by a heart of flesh, when the believing faith of God enters into us by the Holy Spirit and our ears are open to hear the call of Jesus on our life to see him as our Lord and to see him as our Redeemer, suddenly those things that are on our resume won't matter to us as much. That when compared to the light and the glory and the love shown to us by Jesus and the freedom he grants to every repentant sinner, uh, that those things that we lost are actually gain in the eyes of Jesus that there's simply straw blowing away in the wind and all that is left is us and Jesus and his love for us. We can believe, as missionary Jim Elliott did, that he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That in God's favor, loss is gain. This is the craziest thing about Christianity, that the door is open to us, that the gate is dropped open, the wall blown out. However we need to access God the Father, we have wide open access because of the resurrection of Jesus. It's the best news you'll ever hear. Uh, But to quote Toby Keith, freedom ain't free. And so it's going to cost us something. But what it costs us uh, is not money. What it costs us is our lives. Uh, Jesus says this. uh, Whoever tries to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his sake or loses his life for my sake will find it. It means that we'll, we'll begin to say no to those things uh, that may bring us a lot of pleasure. Uh, those things in our lives that when they bump up against the grace of God and God is calling us to lay those things down, that we have to do it. Uh, that his righteousness comes to us and says, I love you too much to allow you uh, to do these things you are going to hurt yourself. That he comes in and, and promises that we'll suffer. That's what Paul tells us here. That we'll be made like Jesus in his suffering and like Jesus in his death. Um, because Jesus suffered. Uh, and it's no different for us. So we have to ask, will we walk away from Jesus like the rich young ruler did? 
in the Gospels? Or will we embrace the call of Jesus and say to him, command as you will. And as you do, you will begin to notice the resurrection power of Jesus. That as you share in his sufferings and are made like him in his death, as Paul says in verse 10, you'll also be like him in the power of his resurrection. And that when we face these many M-I-N-I deaths, and also M-A-N-Y deaths, as we face these many deaths, as you fight to mortify the flesh and to live in the spirit, you're also going to experience tons of many resurrections along the way as you overcome sin and begin to claim victory and take back those patches of grass that sin has scorched. And that, as my friend George says, the Christian is the only thing that is getting newer as it gets older. Uh, that it is only the Christian who's getting newer as we get older, that we're getting renewed every moment, and that we can be truly alive. That the freedom we desire is found, and its parameters are set by God, who tells us to go out and play, uh, to go out into his world and make a bunch of money and give some of it away. That we can go out into the world and pursue these areas of brokenness in our lives and in our communities and watch as how he changes us and how he changes our environments. Watch how he doesn't just snuff out smoldering wicks. Watch how he is so gracious that he doesn't break the bruised reeds. And watch how mercy triumphs over judgment. And how that is the best news that we can hear, and that's the best news that we can give away. Uh, That God the Father has said, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in his Son, and find him uh, to be more beautiful, find him to be more believable, Uh, that you will experience the freedom that your heart so desperately longs for. That we can transform our suffering and see it as a vehicle that leads us uh, to our own resurrection. That we can learn, as Charles Spurgeon said, to kiss the wave that slams us against the rock of ages. And hear those words that our soul longs to hear, that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. As the hymn says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Could my zeal no respite know? I could be the most zealous person on the planet about, uh, about faith in the Lord Jesus. Or I could be the saddest person on the planet and cry all these tears about faith in the Lord Jesus. And whether I'm the most zealous or the most sad, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. It is only through faith in Jesus uh, that we are given uh, such a great gift. Let's pray together. Our great and gracious uh, Heavenly Father, Uh, as we do business in our hearts uh, with the words that you had for us this morning, uh, move us, uh, move us to repentance. Uh, Move us uh, to seek uh, the beauty that you have for us uh, in a life of freedom, uh, a life able to walk away from that sin, and a life to claim uh, that we are justified before you, um, as if we had never sinned nor been a sinner, as we read earlier, uh, that you love us that much, uh, and that it's really true. Uh, God, we've heard it so many times. Uh, my heart has heard it so many times uh, that I almost want to pass by it. Uh, Father God, arrest our hearts. Uh, stop us in our tracks. 
uh, allow us to see your son uh, as the true lover of our souls. And it's in his name we do pray. Amen.